Welcome to In Plain Sight, a cybercrime magazine podcast series brought to you by Conceal. Conceal is a zero trust network privacy and security company that disguises and protects your enterprise's online presence and privacy. Conceal enables secure browsing and secure critical data and resources in the cloud using disruptive malware protection technology. To learn more about our sponsor, visit conceal.io. I'm your host, Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Here with me today is Nate Fritsch, VP of Product at Conceal. Welcome, Nate. It's so great to have you on In Plain Sight. Hillary, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Let's uh, let's dig in. Yeah, absolutely. And Nate, we're here today to talk about how we now live in a world of APIs and permissionless connectivity. And over the past few years, we've witnessed the shift to bring your own devices and product-led growth, shadow IT, to name a few, but there's much more. I want us to dive into some of these a little deeper, but I guess before doing that, and, and even without doing that, one can, of course, quickly begin to deduce how these changes are causing friction for security leaders. So to start off this episode, Nate, do you want to kind of just set the scene for us and elaborate further on the environment with which we're dealing with related to the world of APIs and permissionless connectivity? Yeah, so I mean, there's quite a bit that I can bite off there. I think there's a couple different lenses or or perspectives that I've come across and that I use kind of daily to look at just the general technical landscape and, and where we are today. One is kind of like the paradigm of we've, we've had several of these paradigm shifts over the last 30, 40 years. You know, you had the PC and that was a revolution spearheaded by Bill Gates and Microsoft to a large degree. Then you had the internet. After that, you had mobile. And now we're in this like cloud SaaS kind of like uh, hyper cycle. And the interesting thing to note with that perspective is each iteration was kind of bigger than the previous one. And there's all the examples of whether it's journalists or academics or various commentators kind of poo-pooing, you know, whether it was the, hey, no one's going to use a personal computer at home or, you know, the internet's never going to be anything like more than the fax machine or like whatever. Well, it turns out that each of these are much larger than anyone could have ever imagined. You know, another way to look at it is the the pendulum swinging from like top down to bottom up. And you've seen this play out in a lot of ways. Linux runs a massive uh, percentage of like the world's computing power. And it's basically a globally distributed group of people with an email list and not a lot more than that. And so that's like very much a bottoms up thing. You know, GitHub and the proliferation of like engineers being able to collaborate in a very like decentralized and kind of like peer to peer manner. And then like with respect to enterprise software, you had things like Slack and Zoom as well that came into these enterprises in a bottoms up way. You know, you had small maybe engineering or design teams that started using these tools. And then before you know it, they were being used across the enterprise by tens of thousands of people in, in some cases. A- another way you could look at this is just looking at how much easier it is to start a software company and, and what that's done to the industry. Go back 20, 25, 30 years, you had to buy all of your own servers, set everything up, get the applications actually working. Then you could start to tinker around with your product and figure out if you were building something people wanted. Moore's Law kicks in. Back then, it might have taken $5 million to get started. Now it's like, you know, you hear stories all the time of unicorn companies that got started on $50,000 in credit card debt. Now, I'm not advising people do that, right? But like that possibility exists now where it didn't before. The other kind of frame that I look at this through is just lowering the barrier of entry to like almost like God level capability. I use God level 
for a reason. This kind of goes all the way back to Martin Luther, like nailing his papers on, on the church door. Like you look at what people have access to at their fingertips today, and it's just absolutely crazy, the capability. And especially in the last couple of months with things, you've got the open AI initiative, you've got GPT-3, all the different conversational AI products out there. The point there being bringing really, really incredibly powerful tools to the layperson, to the non-AI you know, or machine learning engineer type of persona. And so that, that is just a, a crazy amount of unlock for potential. And then, you know, the question is like, all right, what, what's the impact on the security industry uh, as it relates to all those different kind of uh, lenses of where we are? Excellent. And so to dive into our conversation further, I guess, can you start by telling us about the consumerization of enterprise technology? I feel like some of what you said kind of brings us to that in, in a nice uh, way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, I mentioned Slack. I mentioned Zoom, GitHub even. A lot of those were that kind of that bottom-up self-service that quickly proliferates through an enterprise organization. Of course, a big key there is the change from walled gardens and owning your own data center and protecting the perimeter and IT has to rack and stack servers to deploy a new application and long lead times and all of that. And so you make the move to SaaS and self-service and it just like completely changes changes things. Consumerization of tech, I think, has been really interesting because you've seen the pressure that internal employees can put on their organizations to move quickly with the adoption of these things like Slack, Zoom, GitHub, et cetera, that never would have been possible before. And so that has also spawned a couple of other interesting things like the whole like lean startup, fail fast, I'll call it an ideology or the idea, I think like Reid Hoffman from LinkedIn has a quote from back in the day that goes something like, you're not embarrassed by your first launch, you didn't ship quick enough. I think those things had their place 20 years ago, but now these enterprise IT buyers are much more sophisticated. The users inside these organizations are much more technically inclined and sophisticated. Their expectations for what a product should or shouldn't be, or what the user experience should or shouldn't be is much more sophisticated. And so not only are they adopting new technologies, putting pressure on them to be deployed enterprise-wide, but they're also very you know, they, they've leveled up a lot in terms of like what they actually expect from that software. And so that's been certainly an interesting trend to watch, I think, from my perspective. And so I mentioned earlier shadow IT, but I guess how has that taken off recently and, and what and why, but then also what challenges has it presented to security teams? I kind of alluded to this just a second ago with the, the move from on-premise to SaaS software. Along with that, from CapEx to OpEx. So you've got these small enclaves of designers or engineers who adopt something like HipChat back in the day or Slack or Zoom or Figma. And it starts out with five people. Before you know it, it's 500 and then it's you know rolled out across the enterprise. Some engineering manager or some designer just put it on the corporate card and like started using it on their own. At some point in that process, right, it grew to a big enough point where Maybe the, uh, the enterprise IT and security teams step in and say, hey, wait, that's great. You're using this, but we need SSO. We need role-based access control. We need all of our different policies to be implemented on this application. And so that's where those bottoms up sorts of products have to then build out their enterprise capability. But to start off with, there's a lot of stuff floating around in, in organizations now that the enterprise might not be aware of. That's certainly been a big change from the old days of owning your data center and what you're installing and implementing for, for your employees. So how does that impact security? I mean, 
all right, now I've got a bunch of corporate information running around on all of these different fairly cheap to procure SaaS applications, and they may or may not be beholden to the enterprise policies and procedures and best practices. So that's been a huge change. And I'm not quite sure where the rover meets the road there. Like, you know, when does the enterprise step in and bless this thing or stop it in its tracks or push down their controls and policies to this new software? So the impact on security, I think, is wide ranging just because now there's a lot of data that's in these applications. And then uh, exacerbate that potentially. These applications are all interconnected with other SaaS applications, right? So now, not only is that data just in that one silo, no, it's connected via APIs to all these other applications that it integrates with. So it certainly can can pose uh, some large issues for organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like it. And so I guess next for you, Nate, how about bring your own device security? I mentioned that earlier as well. And I mean, I think it's easy to understand the challenges that this presents for enterprises, but I guess it does also present major opportunities. So it's important for security leaders to develop a solid BYOD policy. Can you tell us more about your thoughts here and perhaps some strategies that you find useful for tackling BYOD? I'm going to ignore the last part for a second because I'm not sure I have a, a great uh, a great answer for security leaders out there. Or maybe I'll dig into that first. As they are well aware, their users and employees will and do circumvent the system and whatever policies they put down. I mean, let's see, if you go to the emergency room or to the doctor's office or dentist's office, they're supposed to be using secure HIPAA compliant messaging systems. Is that always the case? I can guarantee you not. At the same time, as a patient, as someone needing care provided to me, do I care if they're using that HIPAA certified thing? If, for example, they're on a, a group iMessage or, or text chain that will get the right answer for me, the patient, more timely and, and with less friction, hey, look, that's kind of an individual question. I would probably err on the side of do what they got to do to make sure I get the care I need. So that's a really tough one in terms of like strategies for the BYOD thing. Again, how do you push down enterprise policies to a personal phone? Do you even allow the personal phone? Do you make them have two different phones so that you can have full control over the corporate device and then, you know, the personal device is just that? So I think like a filter that I use for uh, a lot of how I think about certain conundrums is like scale dependency. The answer that might be right for a startup is very likely not the right answer for an enterprise. And like, that sounds obvious on its face, but like, you know, there's different SaaS applications that allow you to kind of have like a work phone on your personal phone. I think one's called Open Phone. And like, that's probably great for startups. I don't know if that's a great solution for an enterprise. You know, most rate recently, I came from like a Fortune 100 bank and they would issue you a, a $1,000 or $1,200 iPhone and, I, you know, more expensive iPad without blinking an eye for corporate use. I'm not sure that that more startup or growth stage technology company solution fits in there. I think the answer is often scale dependent in, in these things. And I, I see that as being the case for BYOD as well. Another, so many factors, but another factor at play here is the change the industry has experienced from a growth strategy perspective. So traditional sales models have kind of given way and are transitioning into product led growth strategies, and that's heavily impacting tech stacks. So Nate, how can security leaders begin addressing these uh, changes and these challenges effectively? Any thoughts you have here? You know, with the proliferation of all these bottoms up product-led growth SaaS companies, and by the way, they're growing at such a ridiculous rate. 
There's companies like Ramp, which is a corporate credit card. Their founders came out of Capital One and they went from zero to like, I think a 10 plus billion dollar valuation in two, two and a half years. There's all these stories of these product-led companies growing so quickly. And as a result, now they have a, a place within a bunch of the enterprise organizations. At least one product or, or group of products that are helping with this is kind of like the SOC 2 compliance as a service companies. So they are working on behalf of some of these PLG companies as they grow and scale and expand in enterprise accounts to provide the requisite documentation that they are SOC compliant. And they're doing that not just in a point in time kind of like snapshot, but they're doing that now also with like ongoing monitoring. You can imagine having all these things hooked up, the actual pieces of software hooked up together so that if there is a change in policy or implementation that gets distributed out to the reporting, which will keep you up to date on are all of these different vendors that you're procuring, are they up to snuff with their security and with their compliance protocols? I think that's been a big help. Again, going back to my previous lives, like trying to be a startup that's selling into the enterprise and, and having the SOC 2 thing come up, that's just an absolute bear to, to own on your own while you're trying to build product, get product out the door, acquire new customers, et cetera. And so the ability for some of these vendors to help expedite and automate that is great. That said, automation can certainly provide and unlock a lot of value, but at the same time, you always have to be careful of automation. There's this Reddit post from years back that, that always comes to mind. Someone bought their parents or grandparents a Roomba vacuum, and it was all great until their dog or cat had an accident on the floor, and then the Roomba went and dragged it all over the floor, and so you end up with something way worse than it was before. You, you, you always do want to be careful with the automation, and that, that plays into like that whole kind of like API and interconnectedness thing too, right? It's, hey, if everything's going to be connected and who watches the watcher is also connected, well, then there does exist the risk for some of these threats to be, to basically expand quickly, just the same way these product-led growth companies expand quickly. So I think some of these companies that are, that are offering services to ensure that product-led growth companies are doing what they need to do from a security and compliance standpoint is, is certainly a huge boon to the industry. Great. And I guess, what are some perhaps use cases or examples that you think would help inspire confidence in our audience that they can overcome these changes? And especially as the reality is that we're probably only getting started as far as rapid evolution is concerned. You know, this this is another, another tough one. It's seemingly a never-ending game of cat and mouse, right? Uh, it always seems that security practitioners are, are playing catch up there, you know, maybe maybe a bit incendiary of a, of a comment, but like threat actors don't have HR departments. I think the good thing is like in many ways, this, this cloud and API first world that we're in now can often be more secure. You know, you think about some malicious activity happens and now let's say a cloud provider or one of the behemoth software companies is made aware of it. They can push down that fix over the wire and to their customers in record time. And so that's a great thing. Of course, the risk there is that with that scale and, and automation, again, the uh, threat actors can, can also grow quickly. But again, I think this idea of like the shared security model with the cloud service providers and the idea of being able to push out updates and patches and things to many more uh, end users and customers more quickly is, is a great thing for the, for the industry. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily going to give, you know, give advice that many smarter people in the industry would think is, is unique. But I think like at the end of the day, 
people are upstream of pretty much all of this. The code does what the people tell them to do. The best practices are created by people. And so I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, it, it really does often default to a people problem. In my experience, though, you know, certainly starting with people um, is, uh, is, is probably the place to start because everything uh, seems to be downstream from that. Excellent. Well, I feel like you kind of answered my last question, but I'll, I'll just ask it anyway. You know, any, any final thoughts or advice to anyone who's listening and helping, you know, trying to help rather their teams navigate the world of APIs and permissionless connectivity? I think like one way to, to think about it is just like with the security onion approach, layers and layers and layers to help thwart attackers. That doesn't make anyone's day job easier. Um, in many cases, you know, installing each, each additional agent on uh, on all of your end users' machines is often not great for anyone, right? It's it's kind of annoying for IT to implement for the users. I know, you know, the idea is to figure out, hey, what are what are the things that are low weight, that are uh, light lift, that have an outsized impact on your ability to to layer your security posture and at the risk of being a shameless plug here, like that's one of the reasons I'm really, really excited about what we're doing at Conceal, because I think we do have a great uh, way to distribute very scalably a lightweight and very effective product. So I, th I do think at the end of the day, layering uh, the approach and doing that in a, in a lightweight way, both for IT's sanity, but also the end user experience is probably the way forward. Fantastic. Well, Nate, such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me on In Plain Sight today and um, taking the time to share with uh, your our audience your insights on uh, APIs and permissionless connectivity. Hillary, thank you so much. It was a blast. It was. Thanks, Nate. In Plain Sight is a cybercrime magazine podcast series sponsored by Conceal, a zero trust network privacy and security company that disguises and protects your enterprise's online presence and privacy. Conceal enables secure browsing and secure critical data and resources in the cloud using next-generation ransomware protection technology. To learn more about our sponsor, visit conceal.io. And to keep up with all of our media, you can visit us at cybercrimemagazine.com. <laughs>